you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd overdrive. I will always survive. Kickstarter, real killer. Yeah, so I. It's called the Odd Man, uh, the Odd, the odd one out. Ones Out. It's and the uh, game is uh, about like chasing a, a moth. It's animation, and let's see if he has a website. So it's a vi- it's a video game. No, it's a tabletop game. They okay. funded uh, analysts. Let's see. I will actually have this here, so he knows he's getting it. Um, can't catch Harry. I don't even know what it's about. I just it's always oh, this is now it's a card game, but it comes with little icons, little little moths that represent Harry, whoever Harry is, and uh, and so uh, figurines. So yeah, it's what he wanted. So supposedly, sometime soon, I will be getting. Okay. That's funny. It was on Kickstarter, or was it on? It was on Kickstarter. Oh, there it is. There it is. You set up. It's a card game. Set up a it game funded in and, ten minutes. Yeah. Oh, he has like a New York Times best-selling book too. Kids huh. love this guy. And when I say kids, high school kids. Yeah. You know? So anyway, he's kind of funny. Uh, Moth greens and the white trash butterflies expansion back. So anyway, that's what he's. That's what he wanted. That's what he's getting. So. Very good. Yeah. It's a it's a very brave new world where we give kickstarter projects to to children especially when there is a chance that kickstarter projects oh i know but this don't, won't, but don't, you know uh, they can fund and not deliver still too, oh thanks so. well well he knows that he, t- he knows the risk the guy took my money that's all i know uh so it's yeah. all right right i should share uh we are recording right yeah we are so i should share at gallifrey one and you recall maybe the last time that john barrowman was there that he uh he likes to create the longest ribbon roll and and auction it off. Uh, Catherine Tate announced on Friday that she was going to win and get more ribbons than John Barrowman. And in the middle, in the middle of John Barrowman's panel on Saturday, she came on stage with her role and unrolled it, ran through the audience and made the audience hold it up. So um, they, basically called each other bitch all weekend long <laughs> because she doesn't do social media Did she... so he was putting he was desperately putting out on instagram and twitter we've got to beat her we've got to beat her bring me your ribbons <laughs> so she claimed herself claimed herself the winner because she was leaving saturday night uh but he said no he still had he still had a day so uh the yeah. uh, so i will get uh, now so, so the uh, on stage, someone gave a ribbon that said chlamydia. So she said, oh, I, I've got chlamydia. I, and so she put that on, on her roll and said, but then she stopped, it. Then she stopped, stopped and said, wait, 
is that one of the aliens? Because I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> am I just pronouncing it wrong? Is it some kind of alien race from Doctor Who? Because she is now infamously does not know sci-fi and has never watched the show, including the episode she's in. So she barely knows. Right. And, and so, you know, she came out and that was her, her, her copy. Yeah, she said, I, you know, don't ask me sci-fi questions because I don't know anything about it. Um, but uh, my favorite ribbon that she then was, was handed, though, said, this is more of a comment than a ribbon. And I thought it was a brilliant ribbon. Okay. Because that's what happens at every panel, right? So somebody makes that uh in fact, they had an etiquette, a, pan, uh, an eti- uh, a panel etiquette panel, and the interesting thing was, I think it was already midday Saturday when that happened. It was too late to tell people how to behave on panels, uh, at panels. So, yeah. Sure, you have to do that. on. Actually, Friday is a tough one because we've had that panel many times, you know, how to be on panels and, and also how to do, how to do the con, yeah. you know, the take a bath eat regularly that kind of stuff and you have to do it just at the right time because friday is too early a lot of people don't show up until saturday yeah. and yeah yeah you know and, and i think it, you know it, it, it's good to uh, watch these panels and, and think you know that there's also a great i think exercise in checking my own sense of, of empathy because i could hear people groaning when you get those you know i it's a stereotype of, of the person who is really awkward as they ask the question or really is overcome because they can't believe they're speaking to someone that they've admired for so long, you know, and, and one guy was trying to get the same pun in every panel and he get in line and ask the same question of everyone so that he could get his pun in, uh, if pe- people, what of who be in food they prefer, uh, and the only thing I remember is that there, he included exterma cake in the uh, in the thing, and, and, and you know people groaned. And I thought, well, you know, but 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 this is the the empathy for this is their moment. I don't know, I don't know, but uh, a good time was had by all, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, another another convention down. So hey, this is Derek McCaw, editor. Chief huh. of FanboyPlanet.com. I know I sounded so like, oh, I'm exhausted, but I, but I am. So world. No, I'm just so exhausted by the time we're recording on a Tuesday night after after Gallifrey won for me. But I think Rick was just, uh, you know, just fine. Anyway, this is Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and welcome to another Fanboy Planet podcast. And across from me, when I say across, I mean 300 miles via Skype from the Brett Cave. Rick Brett Snyder. Yes, indeed. Are you okay there? It sounded like there was like a little, little gleeking going on. Did you? You're. Oh, I'm just you know, I've been to the eye doctor today. I can't see anything, and it really affects. It me. affects I mean, the way you're speaking. Yes, you're like st- you were staring at. The, you're distracted by not being able to be seeing things. <laughs> when you listen back to this, you're going to say that I was distracted by not being able to be seeing things, which sounds like. Rick, do you hallucinate 24-7 normally? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, anyway. Not before we have, uh, we have comics news, movie news, TV news, but before we do, of course, want to mention that you can listen to fan, the Fanboy Planet podcast on 
Apple Podcasts or Google Play or the Stitcher app or whatever your favorite podcast aggregator is. And if you can't already, by all means, write to them and let you, them know that you like Fanboy Planet and would like them to carry us. As well, of course, you can find each and every episode of the Fanboy Planet podcast on fanboyplanet.com. Each podcast has its own dedicated page. Wherein, of course, there is also an Amazon search box so that if there is something we talk about on the podcast that you would like to own for your very own, that you cannot find at your local brick-and-mortar store because we are big proponents. Maybe this isn't a good business model for us, but we are big proponents of supporting your local community comic shops, definitely, and bookstores, which are similar things. Anyway... Uh, but if you can't find them there, you can find them on Amazon on the search box, which is on each and every page. We are also affiliated with Think Geek. So if there is something that you see on the search box through there or on the ads that are on Fanboy Planet, you can purchase there and help support us. As well as if you'd just like to help support us, you can go to PayPal and donate at editor at fanboyplanet.com. If you'd like to join. I love the way you, I love the way you enunciate Think Geek. It's like Think Geek. What word? Yeah, what? Think geek. Think geek. No, think geek. You know. Uh, all right. Anyway, uh, and of course, if you'd like to join the conversation, you can email us at editor at fanboyplanet.com. Love getting email and commentary on our. If you've got any questions, comments, compliments, criticism, commentary, right in there. As well as you can join the conversation on Facebook. Uh, we have a page there, Fanboy Planet, which. Also is where we usually update, uh, usually, uh, post that new articles are up, as well as, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Fanboy Planet. You can follow us on Instagram at Fanboy Planet. I think you sense the pattern there. And anyway, uh, and as well as, of course, each and every article and podcast does have a, a discus commentary thread afterwards, so you can register there and comment directly on on the website so appreciate that and i there i said you know if you write in and uh, we read these emails and this is i almost wanted to do there were there were so i think a five point email that i kind of thought this could be an episode in and of itself just answering the topics but i realized they're going to weave throughout so on the last on the last podcast that we released was actually our cinequest interview with uh, program director mike rabel or is it Rabel? I'm going to come up with this. Rabel? Rabel. Because I'm trying to pronounce the H correctly. Anyway, oh, yeah. Get, 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 now we're sounding like, yeah. now like we're, you know, we're speaking uh, Kashyyyk. Anyway, uh, but anyway, we did the, so two podcasts ago, we did talk about how uh, Warner Brothers announced that that uh, they were going to do The Batman in 2021 and that uh, Ben Affleck is out and now the hunt is on. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but we got this email that starts off with that question. So from uh, listener Chris Buckley, he responds to that that news item by saying, the issue isn't that they're looking for another Batman, it's that they're making another Bat film at all. Move on, DC. Moreover, if they're going to recast, for God's sake, go with David Mazuz. So five seasons of Gotham will count for something. Well, um, here's the thing. First of all, I really, I, I hate to say to, but I always have to correct. Never blame DC for this. There, there is a, a production arm of Warner Brothers Studios called DC Films. It has so little to do, or rather the people at DC have so little influence over what's happening there. I just don't want them to get, you know, painted, splattered by, by people's, uh, approbation towards 
Warner Brothers. But I don't think that's that's the case here. The the reality is that let's see, when did Justice League come out? So twenty seventeen? So twenty seventeen. So four years later, you're gonna get a solo Batman movie, uh, which has been in development since like 2011. Um, so the the big thing in Warner Brothers' mind, they're slow to respond. Here's the th- here's the other thing. Aquaman was such a huge surprise to everyone at Warner Brothers that that made more money than The Dark Knight Rises, although probably not accounting for inflation, but still, that that's their biggest box office success. That takes the huge ocean liner that is the administration at Warner Brothers Studios a long time to turn around and change course when they discover, ooh, there's more money in Aquaman, which, by the way, of course, in addition to Aquaman 2, they finally have started to talk about that. Did you catch that they're going to do The Trench, that they're going to do a horror film set in the same universe? With just I heard something I did. I posted hear. that on yeah. Fanboy Planet, and, and a couple of weeks ago. So I, I love that idea. They're they're trying to get creative. They're trying to figure out. Uh, people should be happy. They announced that Jared Leto will probably not be coming back as the Joker, and that you know James Gunn's Suicide Squad is actually too is actually being called the Suicide Squad, and will reboot and probably not use any of the same characters so hard because harley quinn's over there and birds of prey and just happy there but um and then when you say you're going to go with david mazuz well gotham doesn't exist in the same universe warner uh, you know dc movies and dc television are very very separate so but here's the other thing I, i i'd say is up until aquaman why i brought it up is because up until then, every piece of accounting and evidence that Warner Brothers had was everybody loves Batman. They don't lose money on Batman movies. They did lose money on other movies. So, I, it, you know, that's their thinking. But I think that there's a whole new sophisticated generation. Should we say sophisticated? A whole new generation of comics readers and a whole new generation of adults now that grew up watching the they're, animated series they're more saturated they're more entrenched that's in a really, the, uh, the that's media a, that, and the, the story that's a good word for it yeah they're more saturated so they understand the broader universe uh, uh, uh you know what's out there so yeah you know so i think it's gonna it's gonna change and as i said matt reeves is a good filmmaker david mazuz i think is too young for uh yeah he's like maybe like <laughs> He's 18, Is he 18 years now. Old. Okay, I mean, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna tell you, I did start my. His he he just turned 18. His birthday is okay. the 19th. So I, as far as I know, I think he's actually done filming. But yes, by 2021, he'd still be like 20. That's not Batman yet. He's got at least 25, yeah. and he looks 18. He just does not look old enough to be. There. He's only five eight too. Is he? Oh, he looks so bold because yeah. I haven't indeed taken as I promised. The fifth season Gotham Challenge just dove back in and watched, started watching this yeah. season. And I'm lo- it's been very I'm accessible. I'm loving it. And absolutely, I want to recommend that to anybody. If you stopped watching Gotham, and I don't blame it's, – it's not Gotham's fault. I just got busy and then fell so far behind that I was like, uh, I don't know. You know, we 
going to catch up. So I just wanted to dive back in, and I loved the way they started it. They set it up with No Man's Land and are rolling through, and I just – I'm having a great time I'm watching God. I'm still a couple episodes My, behind, but, but I'm loving it. The character that I liked the least in the first three seasons is now one of my favorites, and that's the Riddler. I think he's brilliantly written. They put him in an interesting situation, and uh, just his his dialogue and delivery is spot on. I enjoy it's, that it's actor. I haven't really seen enough yet, and uh, so you know we shall uh, we shall see. I'll catch up there. And the er- in the early episodes, he was like he was like no, uh, I didn't like uh, him. He was the wrong kind. Psycho. Yeah, he know. was the wrong kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so anyway, let's move on to through the e- through the email from Chris Buckley. Point two, thanks for sharing Pearl. So that was the Pixar uh, exper- They call it experimental film, but I, I you know, it, it's just a, a short that was kind of a, a little more mature than the than Pixar full feature lengths or shorts have usually been. Uh, dealing head on with sex in the workplace in a very clever way and you can find that on YouTube and then point three and this is interesting, I've just got to figure out what to do with it, nice Peter Cannon retrospective, a similar series from that time that was a personal favorite was The Shadow Strikes a terrific piece of pulp and that was, I think, Ed Hannigan doing the art, I can't remember who wrote that, um, but but it was, you know, they had the yeah. updated shadow yeah. that Kyle Baker and Howard Shakin had worked on, and that was, you know, set in the '90s. And then they decided to just go back and do the '30s, and that was a fun series. How about a regular feature looking at overlooked non-super comics runs? No one remembers. So one of my problems is if no one remembers, I may not remember. But I, so I'm thinking about that. It's like every now and then maybe we can uh, a, a semi-regular kind of call out, was there something good? Because I look at the 80s and think there were some really bizarre experimental things happening and in, in the early 90s. And then I think DC has in particular has gone more everybody's got, well both DC and Marvel have gone so so all in on superheroes that you know, you miss things like from the '60s of the experimentation with the Sea Devils, and uh, you know, war comics kind of went out of fashion. Though those are good too. Um, you know, maybe I'm sure you and I would. would you had you had Sergeant Rock and Howling Commandos through the '80s. So. Uh, uh, Sergeant Rock in Easy Company. Nick, 70s, Fury, it's Sergeant 70s, Fury and and the Howling Commandos. Howling Commandos. Yes. So, right. but they had they had. Uh, I mean. Uh, the losers and right the and the losers and... ended with crisis on infinite earths that was a um when they actually died as part of crisis yeah. so uh which was odd and great trivia question that is the you know that is the the only place before crisis on infinite earths that the monitor actually his face was shown was in the losers hmm. as whoever drew it didn't know that they weren't supposed to the editor editorial didn't pay attention to the war comic and <laughs> didn't realize no one bothered to tell the artist you weren't supposed to show what the monitor looked like he had to draw that little sphere but he drew the face so in there as well gave it gave it directly so that's kind of interesting anyway um yeah we'll you know we'll kind of come up with stuff i mean you and i could probably go off for an hour on the dc doc savage i've seen you weigh in heavily on the doc savage facebook page uh, on the dc series yes. so you know we could talk about some of that stuff well, let's uh, let's let's table that 
Thank you, Chris Buckley. Question, uh, point number four. I bought all the DC Animated Universe movies on Amazon on digital video, but Reign of the Superman is not on the platform weeks after being released. Are they only distributing it on DC Universe now? Inquiring minds want to know. So I'm going to follow up with that. And uh, because I got this email and then, and then quite frankly, got busy and forgot. But I think I can track down uh, with my friends at Warner, uh, what they're planning to do. Because you and I, Rick, had, had pointed out, you know, it showed up on DC Universe, which was just like, wow. Okay, so maybe that's the idea going forward. But that doesn't seem fair to people that, that haven't bought into DC Universe yet. Although, as we'll talk at the end of, near the end of this podcast, uh, now is the time. Jump in. But anyway, and then he asked, why no regular bit on Star Trek Discovery? And all I can say is that I, I don't know that we do a lot of regular bits and reviews of weekly TV shows because we don't always podcast on a regular schedule. And we don't always. Well, you're usually it, behind. It, yeah, I am caught up right now. So we'll talk about it on tonight's podcast okay. Uh, okay. because I did watch two episodes back to back last night and loved them. We'll talk. Good. They were good I, episodes. They were great. So let's talk about it later. Uh, and I mean, by later, I mean. In the podcast. Yes. In a few uh, well, I know us. It won't be a few minutes. But anyway, so let's get to some comics news. And again, thank you, Chris Buckley, for writing in for some comics news. This week is the Comics Pro meeting, which is all the, not all the retailers, but a professional organization of retailers in which the big publishers come and present and talk about what's coming up. Uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast, we talked about that there were some editorial shifts happening at DC. They laid off some key people including an art director uh, that maybe the average listener doesn't know, Mark Chiarello, but he's the person that that kind of spearheaded the idea of the, of now it's gone, Black Label, uh, right? That, that those books, uh, he did Wednesday comics, if you remember that, the, the for a while, about a year's worth of, yep. of, of uh, kind of like big Sunday funnies, fun stuff um and just some really great design work for dc and they laid him off uh off some people in marketing they've shifted things around i do have to call out because uh i know i mentioned to you last week rick but i don't think it was recorded just i i'm gonna be honest utter devastation over this that um bill morrison who we interviewed this summer for his graphic novel adaptation of Yellow Submarine, which was great. He had become executive editor of Mad Magazine, and under his tutelage, tutelage, I don't know if that's the right word, under his watch, Mad Magazine became vital, uh, sharply satirical again, just, uh, you know, was a magazine. Worthy of your Absolutely. Attention. Every single issue. I think it's been six so far. And I had, I subscribed because I'll be honest, I wanted the Alfred E. Newman tiki mug, but I don't regret it because, uh, because every issue was so, there was something that is just like, this is haunting. This is sticking with me. This is sharp. I'm going to be quoting this. And then it's just an incredibly clever and, and, you know, it's a great voice of just like, don't believe any of the hype, you know, except believe this hype. Mad Magazine was great. And so naturally Warner Brothers uh, laid him off. Um, so he's been released. And I I, I re reached out to Bill and just 
expressed my uh, dismay, and uh, he has said he is grateful for the support, and that's all he can really say. And he hasn't even really announced it on Facebook that even though everybody knows, uh, you know, he's being an absolute gentleman and not commenting at all upon uh, upon the shift. Uh, and so all I could say here is wherever Bill Morrison ends up, if you see his name pop up on something, follow him and pick, you know pick up that book because it's going to be worth your attention. It's going to be smart. It's going to be cogent. And it's just going to be what we need. And, and so also as part of this, uh, you know, so I mean, something's going on. Apparently, say after Black Label, after the issue with Batman Damned, the first issue with the silhouette of something about Batman, and that, uh, that it got the attention of Warner Brothers. There's some, I think editorial is being squeezed a little tighter uh, than they used to be. And I think also uh, apparently a lot's going on with the with the toy line, uh, the collectibles line. But I, I've also heard, and I, I don't know because I've never ordered directly from DC Direct, even with the DC Universe app. You know, it's like, oh, that's cool, but I, I don't need any of this stuff. Um, it's cool stuff. But apparently things do not quite live up to the ad online. Uh, shall we say the pictures online and the people have complained about getting broken statues and broken action figures. And I, I don't know this. I'm just, I'm just picking this up anecdotally. So maybe that was something that needed uh, more oversight from the larger Warner brothers. I, I, I don't know, but I think the biggest direct fallout uh, is that as a result of this editorial tighter oversight and guidelines that a book that vertigo had announced. And then we announced uh, that we read it out when vertigo launched a whole announced a whole bunch of things coming out, uh, has been canceled called second coming in which Jesus, uh, comes back down from heaven and teams up with a superhero to learn what counts as justice, uh, or, or to understand what people are defining justice as, uh, it's by Mark Russell and Richard Pace. Mark Russell is, is the the guy who another one who good heavens i'm going to be following this guy every, every book he releases because i want to know he wrote the flintstones he wrote the snagopus chronicles both surprisingly they were not what you might think and they worked better than they should have and they were great books and he also wrote the new 52 prez revival six issues is all that that got but i recently we read that thanks to DC Universe, and that thing needs to get made into a movie or needs to get made into a show on DC Universe. Uh, and I suspect that that might have been why it was on, that that character might show up somewhere in, in – I could see uh, the, the female president in Prez uh, fitting in with the craziness of Doom Patrol. We'll talk about that later too. But the interesting thing about Vertigo canceling this book's second coming is they immediately – and apparently Dan DiDio intervened with one, uh, with Warner Brothers higher up to just say uh, they need these guys need the rights back. They need the rights immediately to be able to shop this around. If you don't want to publish it, don't want us to publish it, they should be able to publish it somewhere because it's a good book. So credit to Dan DiDio for having his hands somewhat tied but also then trying to make sure to do right by the creators. So Mark Russell and Richard Pace – uh, I've not yet announced which publisher is going to pick up uh, Second Coming, but that is a book that that we should be looking forward to. Apparently, you know, 
there was some attempt for like Fox News freaked out when they discovered that Second Coming existed about four months after they had, that Vertigo had announced it because people you know don't pay attention to Vertigo press announcements, but it had shown up in in, in Diamond and there was a, a petition to halt the publishing. But they said that's not why. It's just overall that DC wants. I think DC wants to or Warner Brothers wants DC to appear more family friendly I'm, I'm not sure um Agnostic? I, I, well i i don't know i i there's just not enough information coming out but there's definitely a, a shift a sense of you know trying to be reactive to the market instead of lead the market i i don't know and i i, I don't blame anybody for for thinking this way you know it's it's a business first uh but allegedly it wasn't the 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 protesting, because certainly there were also plenty of Christians that were saying, "Look, you know, if if we uh, we we've got to be able to take some uh, some satire and some joshing as well." You know, this is freedom of speech. You can't. This is First Amendment. This is simply this issue. So there was as much support from uh, pockets of Christianity, and I don't want to say pockets. I mean, it's just you know, small groups of people. Uh, uh, the internet the makes the, yes makes the vocal seem like they're the total and they're not, and but there was right. enough coming from both sides. So you know that's just it, it's not the direction that Warner Brothers wants DC to go in, and you know, and it's only noteworthy because DC is a big company and this sort of stuff. I mean, the Jesus as a character in comic books has been going on forever. Sure, I mean, you you, you can find it all over the place and it never it rarely stirs up any controversy well you know there is a there's a, a big company there's a millerverse book called uh, um, american jesus uh, and there was an independent yeah. or a Brit- i think it was a british black and white back in the early 90s called savior i don't know if that was garth ennis warren ellis i seem to think i I, th- I seem to think i think it was somebody who is a bigger name now who wrote it? Um, but it was the idea of G- of Jesus coming back as a superhero. There was a twist to it, but that was uh, that that was essentially it. I think the thing is that that DC has had a, a series of bad press things, and one was Batman Damned, and Black Label is essentially dead. You know, as far as I'm, no new book has been announced for black label other you know it's all just reprints of watchmen would go out as black label uh white Knight, batman white yeah. knight would go out as black black label all-star superman um which i think is just silly do a you know it doesn't if you're going to take away what it is then there is no it's a it's a shame but you know i'm not weeping too terribly hard on this because it will continue to be the um the area that small press and inventive creative people will be able to, uh, to, to be able to explore. Uh, and that's fine. As long as somebody's writing stories that, that, uh, explore the character, the, the, the reaction, and maybe even in some way teach some of the philosophy, uh, by way of that. So, you know, it's, it's a shame that, uh, it's a shame that DC is in a position where they, can't or won't do this kind of thing but 
It's no, it, it, you know what I'm saying is you're focusing on just second coming. I'm saying there's a lot of stuff going on. You tie you tie this into bad press for Batman and damned. Yeah, yeah. No. You with Vertigo, and it's by no means DC's fault or or any editor of Vertigo's fault that Border Town um, got uh, you know a lot of great press at at the start, and then it turned out that the writer Eric Escavel was a horrible human being, and uh, so they had to cancel order town so you know it, it, it's it, it it's just the this it's a series of, of missteps that i don't think anybody could have could have seen coming i don't think it, it's like uh image having that book sex criminals and you know steve mix is uh from green machine comics has pointed this out like that he's had people come into his store and turn the sex criminals trade paperback around so that people can't see the title because they're just being you know censors and there's there's that there's that reality right. that people but they're not people that read comics and that's what's you know <laughs> kind of frustrating to me right. is just it's like well read the book there's something so much more going on in that book too you know but that's the thing with censorship right is that the people that censor aren't people that get what it's about and and, and what's being said typically you know um like yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird getting banned because it makes people uncomfortable about race issues. Like that, that that's the point of the book. That's what it's supposed to be. Funny that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you wow. feel uncomfortable yeah. because at least you reacted correctly. Where are the stories that make us feel it, comfortable with our racism? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. No. So uh, let's go for it. Let's go to pick of the week. What uh, what books on your stack? Or you know what? I'm gonna let you. You want okay. to? But let's be fast. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I'm, throw, okay. I'm throwing so, you for a curveball. Go ahead. Uh, okay, now I have to go find the other book. There, you it can't read your eyes. All right, we're we gonna alternate. Are you gonna do? No, you, well, do yeah, I can. Team? Go first, man. Okay. All right. So the first one uh, is the one that. Uh, I'm a total broken record on this this week or this past week. We we got our first issue of Savage Sword of Conan. I almost picked and, it up just so I could uh, steal sure it away from you. <laughs> well, it was a five dollar book. Uh, depending on how you count the pages, and it's really tricky these days when when they do like a a boilerplate first page, you know, no O prints between the years when the ocean drank Atlantis. And then they have a, a double spread Savage Sword of Conan, Cult of Kongathun, um, Part One Shipwrecked, with all the uh, all the creators. So that's two pages two and three. Uh, then we have Sans Soapbox showing up on page four. But then we actually get into the art, and it, that's where I want to count pages. So I'm counting thirty three pages in this book. If you count those three pages plus the three pages of yet another new prose story. We're up to around 40 pages of, of story for your five bucks. That's pretty good. Um, but that's not this, this Savage Sword of the of Conan was when it started out a rated M for mature magazine. And by that, it was much more violent and graphic about the violence and the blood, ironically, because it was in black and white, the blood was black. Um, and the, the, uh, the stories were, they had a little more nudity in them, uh, as in nudity, not just silhouettes. And, but what 
I was really hoping when I heard this book was coming out that it was that they were going to do a, a modern black and white on it. They didn't. But I'm not unhappy because so the creators are uh, Jerry Dugan. Is the oh, he's the writer. Ron Garney. The writer, Ron Garney, Garney is the artist. Neither one of them are the ones that excite me. I'm actually I'm actually most excited by Richard Eisenhove, who is the colorist on this. And he's almost got a tin-type uh, brownish tone to almost all the pages. So it's, it's evoking the kind of single-color book. I mean, there's, there's blue sky and there's blue water in it, but for the most part most of these pages look like they could have been drawn for black and white and they're they're at most two or three colors on the page and i just actually when i first flipped through it i went oh do i really want to buy this and i bought it i'm so glad i did because it so carries the story through uh we have a we have a conan uh it's told from a single page flashback of conan uh not quite sure if it's King Conan. He looks like he's on the throne with mm -hmm. throne with a whole bunch of food food in front of him and a and a uh, uh, a wench who may be his queen, maybe not. Um, but he's uh, it, it transitions terrifically cinematically from that to Conan adrift at sea, barely hanging on to life, and being picked up by slavers in a boat. Um, Highly recommend this book. Even Let me ask five a bucks, question. This is, uh, this is looking okay. really good. Granted, yes. there, there is no need to do the black and white magazine anymore because it is a different time. They didn't rate them M because magazine, you know, magazines just didn't have to be the, the comics code. At this point in time, do you see a, a, a recognizable difference stylistically or content-wise between the regular Conan, the Barbarian book, and Savage Sword of Conan. Basically, the heart of my question being, are they dividing up so that kids who are into Conan can read one book? And adult fans like yourself can read the Savage Sword. I would say yes, but I think that the, um, the Conan the Barbarian book is a little bit more advanced adult than it was in the original run. Well, I mean, there were that's some. A I remember, I remember time, issue dude. issue twenty four of issue twenty four of of uh, the original run, Conan the Barbarian, actually showed a man whose arm had been chopped off. He was one of Conan's um, Conan's friends, and he, the guy hang, hung around for quite a while throughout additional stories. But I remember being shocked at that. In uh, that was probably one of the more shocking images in that first two dozen issues. And we had a lot of killing going on in those books, but this this is definitely much more um, savage. Okay. It's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's I was just, I was just curious, term. you know, because they're doing a lot, and and they yeah. also announced, as we suspected, Conan is going to show up in a team book in Marvel con in full on Marvel continuity. Yep. Um, so let, let, let me go to yep. Avengers Avengers No Ro No Road Home issue number six yeah, coming. But, out but no, they're getting a thing they're called the Savage Avengers. There's a separate team now. It's going to be called. Oh my. You know, okay. So, okay. Uh, okay. I, anyway, uh, but I thought you were going to. I thought you were leading into asking if I thought there was a there was a place for black and white in this, and I well, definitely no, no, but I, I, um, no, but I, I. It always depends on the artist. Right, right, right. But it, you know, we, for me, like the reason they were in black and white in the '70s was not because 
they wanted to go black and white. They were in black and white because that was the way to get around the comics code in the most cheap in the cheapest way to put a dollar was it like a dollar for the magazine originally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was like and, four times. Yeah. And I can remember a big stuff. deal when like they, they did the magazine, the full color Hulk one, the rampaging Hulk, um, you know, and, and, you know, in, oh, the, yeah. in the, in the 1950s, in the 70s. Um, so, well, they had, they would set them back in time. They were, they were not current uh, chronology. But not in the 50s. There was no Hulk anyway. in the, in the fifties. They were, it was, we'll talk about it. It, it was, it was, uh, they did like, uh, Martian invasion. Uh, the only, episode, the only issue I had was the, was one in which he was on a uh, shipwreck on an island and it was set in modern time in continuity. And then moon Knight was back. It was yeah. a backup. I think they may have they may have dropped it after a while, but they were definitely more of a retro Hulk when they first so started 60s. out. Yeah. So let so, me go to. But go the ahead. other thing that I was gonna, the other thing I was gonna want to mention is when I was when I said okay, so that Richard Eisenhoff, who I couldn't remember who he was, and he was responsible for um, the first run of uh, Dark Tower. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Stephen King's The Dark Tower. The colorist stuff. on that. He's so a, he's a that's, brilliant And colorist. that's, it was, it was evoking the that's same right. kind of feeling for me. Yeah. I'm going to go to, anyway, uh, anyway uh, so I'm going to go back actually to a trade paperback. I'm going to add, add on here because it should have mentioned it a while back. And I do want to call it out. So I'll make it a, because it's, it's a trade paperback, it, a graphic novel in its truest sense. It will be, or, or I think, I don't know, let's call this a graphic narrative because it's, it's a biography. The Life of Frederick Douglass, a graphic narrative of a slave's journey from bondage to freedom by David Walker, uh, who we've had on the podcast a couple times. Damon Smythe is the illustrator with Marissa Louise, the two of them doing the art. And I just... I, I want to call this out because it's a biography of, of Frederick Douglass that I completely admit as I was reading it going, this is one of those things that I know only a little more than the president of the United States about Frederick Douglass. And I, I'm being fair that, that, you know, I grew up knowing, you know, that's always a book that was on like the book reading list options, the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. And I never picked it up. I picked up bits and pieces about his life, knew knew why he was important, and it was kind of a shame to be at age fifty three, picking this up just now and reading this information, you know, and and absorbing some of this, the details of his life, and the, the but this is a great graphic biography. Let's call it that, you know. Because I don't think you can call it a novel if it's nonfiction. I I don't know. Anyway. Uh, yeah, huh. yeah. A graphic novel has transcended the concept of fiction and nonfiction, I guess. So we just call it that. But it's uh, right. it, it's it's a terrific book, and I know that David had he by his own admission up front ha- said he struggled with should he put used uh, Frederick Douglass's own words in places. I, it which he then decided, yes, he should borrow, borrow from what Frederick Douglass actually wrote. And that helps shape this narrative. And I think it was the right choice. It's just a, a great read and a, one that uh, I think you should pick up and, and uh, I'm going to be brief about it. I'm, I'm really enjoying it as I found when I read March that I find uh, from John Lewis that I have to keep putting it down because I not because it's bad because I get so angry 
reading about the way things were and the reality of it. And it's just, you know, I, I have to walk away a little bit and, and then pick it up again. And I, and it is, I, I'm rewarded every time I pick it up, but I, I had to take it in small chunks. Maybe I'm too empathetic. Maybe I, you know, I don't know, but I'm just, anyway, absolutely a great, a great way in. If you have, if you have not read about him, uh, but regardless, it's good comics and good comics. That's our job here to just recommend good comics. So what's next on your stack? The comic I'd like to recommend is actually, I'm going to say hold off on it because what I'm looking at right now is Dick Tracy dead or alive issue number four from IDW. And this is, uh, this is all the all reds and penciled by Rich Tomasio. Tomaso. Yeah. Tomaso. And, uh, this, if you ever had any point in your life where you w- read the Dick Tracy news uh, newspaper mm-hmm. comic strips, um, or you've read any of the collections, or mm, yeah, if you saw the movie, forget it. Uh, there was a Dick Tracy animated. People show don't like too, to talk about it. There? Yeah, it's apparently racist as heck. I okay. saw it when I was six. Okay. I haven't seen it since. I'll take everybody's word for it. When I read descriptions and go, yeah. why, yes, that was bad. Well, anyway, go ahead. So this is the the last issue in a four-issue series that I am going to highly recommend that you watch for. I'm sure IDW is going to put out a trade with this. If uh, It does wrap the whole storyline for for what is essentially – an origin for Tracy and his crime stoppers. Um, so we have, uh, the origin of junior, the origin of, uh, of Tess, and, you know, all, all the, all the characters in this. Plus it's a terrific homage to Chester Gould's, um, paneling and, um, and the way he worked with, uh, with, uh, bubbles, word bubbles, and then those little info pointers. Remember those? Be like, yeah, oh yeah. Tracy's Tracy's watch be there, and there'd be like a yellow band with an arrow pointing to the watch, saying, uh, two way wrist, wrist radio, radio watch." You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which now we call Apple Watch, a phone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've seen so, you talk into your watch. That was really, you know. Oh, I yeah. And I know that's the only reason you got yeah. it, so you can go. I'm being Dick Tracy, anyway. And but the the other thing about this is there's a lot of stuff that the storyline doesn't cover that was done in the Tracy books. Cause a lot of people don't realize Dick Tracy back in the sixties went to the moon where there was a civilization of moon people and a woman whose name was moon maid, um, who married one of Tracy's crime stoppers and eventually was killed in the series is very dramatic. There are a lot of, a lot of twists and turns in this. Um, one of the great things about these books is they dedicated like three pages in the back to doing a, a chronology of what was going on in the strips from like the fifties on through the nineties, um, up until 2018 is where the last one ends. So, um, the timeline is, is quite interesting to read, read through. And, uh, I, I just love this book. It, it's, um, it's got enough Alred in it that it's just a little bit physically crazy, but at the same time, it's it's Dick Tracy, and that was pretty crazy in three panels a day as well. So, um, highly recommend this. But I don't. I I recommend 
wait and you know you probably could go back and buy all the individual issues if you want to do that it probably isn't too hard to come up no with. but they could they collect uh, the trades and they're going to have a, the, a follow-up the, the trade, miniseries the trade well. on this is going to be great yeah michael a even so, emming is doing a follow-up miniseries and uh okay so you know they're telling stories it's great uh yes and yeah. that was a groundbreaking strip uh i was i'll say there is another animated series it was on that archie's tv fun house i think that's the one i'm remembering TV funnies yeah there was a there was a weird series in the early 60s where it was barely dick tracy like he would show up at the beginning and then they'd have these different other detectives of various ethnicities that would solve crime solve the crimes and then he'd come in at the end to wrap up but i remember seeing things with like uh moon Maid in, in there, of course, I yeah. you know the Mercury News had Dick Tracy, so I read that regularly, and I, I had the big little book. Uh, you know, there's a series of films in the '40s too. People oh yeah, kind of forget yeah. about Ralph Bird was the actor who played him then. They're all listed in the chronology. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. So uh, my other book today is uh, Journey into Unknown Worlds. Marvel is celebrating 80 years, and uh, so they've been they've been doing these one shots of their forties and fifties, uh, Atlas and timely anthology books. And so uh, I picked this up. I think this was actually came out maybe two weeks ago. Uh, but I, I just found it uh, this week and that was, and so journey into unknown worlds is a kind of sci-fi horror, uh, with two stories about a- alien invasions and kind of in the tone of the, 50s but with a with a 2019 twist colin bunn and guillermo sana writing one story doing one story and a uh, writer well i don't know but, uh clay mcleod chapman writing one and francesco mana doing the art and they're just they're just cool it's 3.99 uh you know your mileage with anthologies may vary but i really enjoy them and I've decided after not being ever let down by something that Cullen Bunn wrote that if I see his name on an anthology book in particular where he's not beholden to any continuity, he's just doing a little short, I, they're always they're always entertaining. These are creepy stories. Um, and uh, say Advent, Journey into Unknown Worlds was a 50s book from uh, from I guess they were timely at the time. And uh, right by the fifties, they were timely. No, they were Atlas by, by the fifties. It started as timely and became Atlas in the fifties. So they've got a bunch. There's a war book they've, they've done. There's a, so you can probably find them at your local shop or get them to reorder. Uh, I don't know if they're going to collect them all together. It's like an 80th anniversary book, but, uh, there's a romance one. There's a Western one. I think there's a crime one because they must've done crime. And then, uh, and then more of a straight-up horror as well. I'd like to find that. I don't think it's come out yet. So um, it might be one you just overlooked at the shop because they're one-shots. They're oddly titled. And, you know. Yeah, I, I saw it. I picked it up. Um, yeah, I, 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 I was, it was on the bubble for me. But uh, I didn't pick it up. Well, I, then I, I, I make my – you know, I shouldn't. I, I shouldn't say, Rick, you got to read it. I have really enjoyed, because I'm going through this long spate of enjoying horror, uh, more than I used to, um, maybe it's because it's less scary than the real world for me, that Cullen Bunn has become a master of comics horror to me. And I I feel, you know, it's just, 
I'm always vaguely creeped out in a good way, and I really enjoy it. So that's that's what caught my attention on this. And like I said, I do enjoy reading anthologies when the shorts are are well done, and these are just well done books, uh, well done stories. I'm I'm looking at his books, and he did do he did do recently a number one for Der Spider Geddon called Vault of Spiders, which yeah. does sound like like a horror. I believe he created the creepiest. Of the uh, if it's Spider Geddon, uh, he's the one who created Spiders Man, which is that the, oh. the spider reproduced and it doesn't. The aggregate spiders think that they're Peter Parker, and they're wearing the suit, but oh. it's all really just a bunch of spiders in a Spider Man suit. And if they put that into the into the into the Spider Verse sequel, I'm going to freak out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think he, but he may have been the one who also wrote that one where Spider-Man, uh, the, the maybe the the Vault of Spiders was the one where Peter Parker uh, started devouring and feeding on other people, and then Gwen Stacy had to kill him. I think so. Um, they, there was one of the. It's it's got it's got the uh, the Japanese uh, giant spider mecha on the cover with all the the standard uh, okay. spider Yeah, you know, I'm food. I'm catching up on that on, on on the app when it goes through. So anyway, uh so those are our picks. So there we go. Let's go to let's go to movies. We to call back to Chris Buckley's question, who will be Batman? Uh no, it's not gonna be David Mazus. Uh, he's five foot eight. That's not why. He's just too young. But I, I like that in a day, uh for a week I saw people posting online that it is Army Hammer's time. And then last night, I saw. Uh, yeah, I, I saw the. <laughs> go ahead. It's it's happened. He's done. And then tonight, I saw that Army Hammer said, "No one's asked me. No, I I'm not going to be Batman." Um, but I do think he would be a good choice. So the two the two like fan frontrunners right now, uh, Army Hammer, who was cast once as Batman. In the George Miller, that's the guy who wrote and directed the Mad Max series, in the George Miller Justice League movie that never happened. But had gotten so far as he had costume fittings. They had designed the costumes. They'd made prototypes. He was fit. Um, I can't remember what the, what the subtitle of that Justice League movie uh, was, but I know there's a script floating around. I gotta, I gotta ask Mike Wellman. Um, he does readings of these lost scripts, and I think that would be a great one to get, get my hand on just to just to see how it goes um anyway uh so he said no but the other to me a weird name at first and the more i think yes. about it, the more i go okay robert pattinson who yes has points in my book and please don't jump all over me for this but he has points in my book for famously hating his most famous role as edward in twilight yes um because you know what? If you're a Twilight fan, good. I, I am happy that you have those, and I hope you're happy with those movies. And I just they, – they, they weren't for me. And clearly they weren't for Robert Pattinson. But uh, apparently he's made a couple of films since where people are going like, wow, Robert Pattinson can really act. So he wouldn't be a bad Batman. I'm – you know, on one hand, I, I am also with, uh, with Chris Buckley, and a Batman movie just seems like this – inevitability sometimes but i i look forward to seeing what matt reeves does with it i keep hoping that there will be some really cool you know twist so i know I, you know so robert pattinson that's that's an interesting choice 
and I I I also kind of went what what when I when I heard that rumor, and then I went and looked at recent pictures of him and recent movies we're making, and I'm going, hey, he's he's a better physical choice for my taking than than um, and now I'm blanking on his name. I had it a second ago. Uh, the original Burton Batman, Michael Keaton. <laughs> Keaton. Um, I like and you and I, I, you I only know. remember the names when it's the other person who's trying to say it and can't remember it. Right, right, right. <laughs> I, I, but, I don't know how we've stepped to make each other look. I'm like. still, I'm still stunned. He's got such an interesting jaw. He really does. He's got, he's got a big, pointy, kind of not really pointed, pointy jaw, but kind of like. I he's he's almost cartoonish enough to be Batman under the hood, yeah. Although then doesn't everybody recognize? But you know, I don't know. There was a, a scene cut from the original, uh, the the beginning sort of uh, of the Tim Burton one ha- had a piece of it where when when uh, Batman was knocked unconscious and Bob the Goon says check his wallet. Uh, in the original script, it was that they unmask him and nobody recognizes who he is. Uh huh, and you know which might have flown better in '89 than it would fly now because I think there's no yeah. nobody knows, you know. Um, but maybe I you know, so I don't know. I always think that 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 when somebody has that recognizable uh, of a jaw, in in particular, it's sort of like, does the mask really work? Does nobody notice that? I you know I don't know, I don't know, but it. it do the glasses work? But you know, no, the glasses work. I think it was John Byrne that set it up, and I've bought this ever since. Is that the glasses work because it doesn't occur to people that uh, that Superman has a secret identity? So if you're not looking for it, yeah. You know, it's the Lex Luthor solution. No one that powerful would ever disguise themselves as someone that weak. And so it doesn't make sense to people. You know, I thought that was a pretty good explanation. And on that note, I was just looking, by the way, speaking of Superman. Now, there's a rumor that Henry Cavill, depending on a final negotiation, will cameo. The rumors cropped up again in Shazam, but that's only if. Warner Brothers decides that they do want to move forward with Henry Cavill being Superman for a while. Now, a, a few months back, there was a rumor that they were looking at Michael B. Jordan for Superman. And I, I had not realized, I was reading a little interview with him, and I hadn't realized that he said he would gladly pay, play Superman, but not Clark Kent. He would do a Superman film if they did Grant Morrison's Calvin Ellis. The Earth thirty eight, yeah, basically yeah. Barack Obama, and I thought one love reminders that Michael B. Jordan is a total comic book fan and knows this stuff. But then I'm also thinking, aren't I guess most people in Hollywood now in their in their twenties and thirties, they're looking through the through. No, I mean they're legit. I mean they're legitimate fans. Yeah, they know, they know this stuff. So I thought. Uh, I think there's fans, but I think there's a lot of them still like, so what, what un, uncast super character could I make a, uh, a living off of for a couple oh, of films? Well, I, I, 
yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, they realize they, they don't have a lot of choice in that. They don't get to, to say necessarily, but if they're big enough, yeah, you know, um, I mean, that's, that, that is, that is possible. And I, I do know that I, I have been at a, at a favorite comic shop in LA. Actually, I've been in a couple of comic shops in LA where somebody who is a production assistant has come in and said, we called ahead for this stack of, you know, what's new. Like people are just, the studios are just combing for what hasn't been developed. What's, you know, what's out there that we could get our hands on. So, um, yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have no inside knowledge on Batman. We just know it's supposed to come out in 2021, uh, along with, though I haven't heard anything in the last two weeks about the Batman Beyond anim- animated, which just, dang it, be a live action and bring Michael Keaton back in his cranky old Bruce Wayne. Uh, I, that would I be would cool. be so happy with that. But another thing that's getting a reboot, and I just think this is hilarious that they're even bothering to call it this anymore. Um. Do you remember when the mummy was gonna launch a, an entire shared universe and begin even right. with a, with a with a logo that says Dark Universe? Universal is gonna do it again. Lee Wanell, who is one of the masterminds behind uh, Saw, and he had another movie that came out last June, and I really wanted to see it too. I think it's called Upgrade. Uh, about a, it was like a weird kind of almost a six million dollar man thing. This guy gets these implants, and becomes a cyborg, but the computer intelligence or the AI intelligence keeps like taking over. So I don't know if it was harder sci-fi or or harder horror. I just know that going back and watching Saw, I went, that was a pretty nifty piece. Uh, and he worked with James Wan, who is of course the director of Aquaman and producer of, of the Aquaman franchise now. Um, that. Uh, he was signed to reboot the the dark universe with the invisible man but they're doing it in conjunction with bloomhouse which has been doing which is mostly well known for doing small small budget which then this gives me hope uh, horror films and why this gives me hope is because you and I have talked about this many times. When you go back to those original universal horror films, which did end up kind of connecting up before anybody thought about shared universes, that right. that they were small, intimate stories. They didn't, they weren't like the mummy. The entire fate of the world is at stake. I when I say the mummy, oh, I yeah. mean the one with Tom Cruise. Um, but this is, right. but it's just funny to me because. Everybody's pretending that the mummy was the shot. They're forgetting that Dracula, un- or they're, pre- they're pretending to forget that Dracula Untold was the first time that was a that was meant to be the cornerstone of the Dark Universe, and then nobody saw that movie. So then they said, "No, no, no, forget about that one. Now we're going to start with the mummy." <laughs> and then nobody liked that movie. So they go, oh, forget about that one. We're uh, we're canceling the Bride of Frankenstein, and we're canceling Jekyll and Hyde. There's supposed to be an Invisible Man because they had cast Johnny Depp. They released a photo of like every actor that they had that they had signed for the Dark Universe, and uh, a couple of years ago, then the Mummy tanked, and so now with Bloomhouse is starting all over again. I think a, a nifty, creepy movie could be made with the Invisible Man. I would just like to. I mean, even though you run a risk of connecting, you know, of drawing. A connection to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. 
I'd just keep them Victorian. And those oh, yeah. movies. Yeah, make it a period make, piece. And then do the Bride of Frankenstein that way. You know, just tie them in that way. And that there was there were some really horrible things going on in the 19th century that no one knew about. I don't know, you know. I, right. I just, I don't know. So, you know, that was the mistake. You can't do a shared universe planning it out from the very beginning. You've got it. Marvel's shared universe worked because they took a risk. You know, they went, okay, boom, Iron Man. They threw Samuel L. Jackson at the end just in case they could. You know, they could go forward with it. They didn't know. They didn't lay all these seeds to say, this is what it is. They just said the universe is bigger than you think it than you think it is, and they've filled in. They've done ret- retconning some stuff, and and it's worked. So I, I think I, I'm interested there. He's also been hired to re to write Escape from New York. Not yet to direct, though. Probably will. They say he's a front runner. But yes, I heard that. I I'm. It's not a movie that I I feel needs a remake, and I know that the part of the ch- part of the charm of Escape from New York is it is so low budget and so comic booky. I mean, so stereotypically comic book storyline, um, and the fact that it it comes in on the story, right? It's Snake obviously has a history because everyone says, "I thought you were dead" when they meet him, right? Um, it's, it's like one of those perfect adventure. I'm, I'm, I was sad when they made escape from LA for multiple reasons, but it's, it's like a film that really should have stood on its own and never gone anywhere else. But that's not how Hollywood works, you know? And I like, I'm going to show my son escape from LA. Now we've seen escape from New York just because, and we, and my brother and I both warned him, you know, that like, it's silly in comparison not that escape from new york isn't silly but there's a grittiness to it there's a, there is a toughness to right. it and you you know and, and there's a morality to snake that is some, hard to see necessarily you know perhaps on the on the surface but um escape from la is just kind of i had fun with it but it's only because at that point it's full of actors i like you know bruce campbell oh, Steve yeah. Buscemi. I oddly enough my favorite part of that movie is the surfing oh no no, no that's know. not odd at all I think that's the best part. <laughs> I still say it, it's it's uh, Steve Buscemi freaking out, looking over and seeing him surfing alongside. <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I just don't. You know, it's like saying the the the, the wanting to remake Big Trouble in Little China. They're both oh, yeah. movies that uh, are so yeah. perfect. But that's again from my perspective, and I think Hollywood is trying to. They've they've got these. These franchises, if you will call them, you know, if you want to call them franchises, they have these titles that have recognition. So they figure if they remake it, enough of the people our age will go in to see, oh, well, all right, we'll pay. And they'll take their kids. Uh, That I think what what really, and again, as my son sometimes reminds me, is like, yeah, but dad, I'm your son. Um, You know, I don't know that kids... um, people in their teens and twenties now, you know, in big enough numbers would watch the original versions. And so, you know, I can see why it's, it seems like a worth what worthy gamble, you know, the, the other thing happening with film in general is just like, I don't know if these, if the generations coming up are really that into going to smaller, 
uh, action films like that. You know what? I can't remember the name. I think it was called ATX. Um, that came out last summer from Lionsgate about this robo dog thing. I don't know, but it it looked like a almost a low budget Transformers movie, which Bumblebee sort of was. Um, <laughs> kind of went. But I, I watched it and thought, man, if this movie had come out in the 80s when there wasn't a movie like this every month, it could find its audience. I don't know how it was. I didn't see it. Um, but I might have, you know, you, you might have enjoyed it in the 80s uh, or, or, or the 90s. But I think now it's like it's got to be so big to make it worthwhile going to the theater to see it in, in, in IMAX or – you know, it's, it's got to be small enough that it fits on Netflix or Amazon Prime, you know, and, and it's just kind of weird to me. We're in, we're in an interesting, interesting phase. And I know the studios are getting nervous that, that the next generations coming up really aren't consuming things in theaters. They're not even really consuming things on TV. They're consuming things on their phones and their tablets and in shorter bits. Yeah. And so, yeah, there, there is that. I mean, you, you said, I don't know if you didn't know if, uh, if today's movie going, youth are going uh to see these smaller films and i think they are i but i don't think hollywood's trying to make them anymore that may be too i mean you know? but that's, that's, because like if you look at get out get out is is a small film it's a small cast there's no sp- very few special effects um but it's and it's just got an intense storyline but it's typically what you'd think of uh, as a okay, very classy, but I want to say this, but, but uh, horror films are different. You don't lose the money on horror. Okay, and I, at, at least for now, and maybe if life gets, if people feel more confident, it might go down. You know, that's the thing. This is like uh, I, I've got a lot of friends in the horror community. We talked about that. Like the '90s was not a great time for horror because everybody was like, yeah, "Okay, we're feeling all right." You know, I'm remembering. Uh, who is that, that that band that's saying right here, right now, you know, watching the world wake up from history? I was like, nah, yeah, it was a good decade where we thought everything was going to be okay. <laughs> and then, uh-huh. Boom. No, it's not, you know. It was for a while. Maybe. Uh, so let's let's move on uh, to the shorter experiences. I, I have no details beyond this that I, I put it under movies, but it's a good transition to TV that apparently the Doctor Who team is creating a 12-minute VR experience. So I think at its best, that's kind of like to go to play because you said Oak Ridge has uh, in San Jose, um, ha, that local to us, right. it, it has a new VR. There's a Terminator experience happening. Downtown Disney uh, has the, the – they've got The Void uh, is the company that runs uh, – there's a Star Wars experience. There's a Wreck-It Ralph experience, although I don't know if that's playing right now because of who – you know, record Ralph's out of the theaters. They also have a Ghostbusters. I don't think they're playing at Downtown Disney, but I but I know I've seen it at other listed at other uh, Void locations. So uh, I, I'm all in for a for a Doctor Who VR experience. And of course, as we we've talked about in, in our last podcast that Cinequest will have some VR going on. So you know, calling that out to people that it's what I'm curious about. And you, you mentioned this. I've been trying to figure out a time when I'm going to go over and see and do that Terminator Salvation yeah, yeah, yeah. thing at uh, yeah. Oak Ridge. And what I want to know about it is: it is it a, a largest space, largest 
space that you move around in, or are you standing in one place through the whole? I haven't gone to. I haven't turning. gone to Oak Ridge now. Like I know that the void is yeah. two storefronts. Basically, they kind of created a small warehouse you move through, and you carry the yeah. on the back. But I don't know if that if Oak Ridge closed out. I, I just don't know where they put it in. Uh, if they closed out their own, oh, I know where it's, it's in the upper level. It's in the upper level of well, the theater, no, no, so I you go up that, the escalators. If they and it's close right out there. their arcade. If they closed out their arcade, uh, then that's what the space is. Part of it, you yeah. know, and, and they yeah. did have a ridiculously large lobby for how little they wanted people hanging out there. You know, right. so I <laughs> big big space, yeah. no chairs. <laughs> oh yeah, we should just huddle like sheep. Anyway, uh, all right, show us the next Twilight. So anyway, uh, you know, that's that. We'll be checking those things out. And uh, so let's go to TV, shall we? Uh, I'm going to lead with the bad news, but it's not unexpected. And uh, there's a piece up uh, today, actually, Mac Williams wrote this up, that Netflix and Marvel both announced that they have they are officially ending their relationship. Uh, the se- current season of The Punisher, that was just on the second season, has is the last season of the Punisher and the upcoming third season of Jessica Jones will be the last of that. So there'll be no more Marvel on Netflix. Uh, Jeff Loeb from Marvel TV released a a statement saying, yes, they felt that the time, the time has come to end these stories. We disagree. We will find a new place. You know us better than that. Blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. I, you know, I think there's a positioning Disney plus, uh, has announced some Marvel stuff. A Loki series was confirmed. There's a Vision and Scarlet Witch. There's a Winter Soldier and the Falcon, and starring the movie actors. And they are from Marvel Studios, which is different from Marvel Television. And so I don't know if what we're going to see. I think there's a two-year non-compete that Netflix can still hold on to these, so I have time to catch up. Uh, but. Uh, I don't know if they'll go on, on to Hulu uh, or not. You know, they, they, I think Hulu is being positioned as where the harder-edged, what might be the R-rated stuff, uh, would go on to for, for Disney slash Marvel slash Fox content. Uh, uh, Hulu did announce they've also will have four animated series uh, coming from Marvel, including a Kevin Smith produced Howard the Duck. So I. I'm hopeful. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. intrigued. There's a, a Modoc uh, solo series, and so uh, how many of these can Kevin Smith? No, write? no, no. Modoc is produced. You know, no, I. I'd like to see him write that. Uh, yeah, I know that would be interesting. Uh, but each one is a different. Uh, I don't know if I call. I guess Kevin Creative Smith team. has become a stand-up comedian. I guess you qualify him that. I think I think of him more as a performance artist with his podcasts and his what started out as lectures. Um, but I guess he's stand-up. Um, so each one assigned to uh, to a different stand-up. Patton Oswalt, I think, is the one producing uh, Modoc, and Chelsea Handler is producing one, and I'm blanking on which one it is. Oh my god. Uh, so oh, wow. uh, we'll see what happens with that. So who, they're doing hard red stuff. So maybe the defenders will show up there. Uh, I would love to see a Chelsea Handler produced Jessica Jones. I don't want Jessica to be funny though. You know, um, I, I, I want to see 
I, I want to see Kristen Ritter get a fourth season on Hulu with Melissa Rosenberg still running the show and tightening up the episodes. I, mm-hmm. I, I do still think that the Netflix stuff suffered from people. Uh, you know, every one of those seasons has felt like eh. it's always like. I've got an idea for five stories. Give yeah, us twelve. You know, okay. uh, yeah. I'll even say ten would have been enough, but they're always twelve or thirteen, and you know it always uh, feels stretched out. So yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah. Okay. So here's the weirdest announcement today. Ready? Uh, and I, and I hope <laughs> yeah. you know one banana, two banana. So I got a press release, and then and then when I wrote back asking, "Is there art? Please tell me there's art for this." Um, I, I got an email back saying nothing yet. Like, oh, they're teases. Uh, a, a press release that uh, Blue Warner Brothers Blue Ribbon, that's their online content studio, is producing for Sci-Fi and Warner Brothers Home Entertainment the Banana Splits. Ready? It's it is the Banana Splits you and I remember, and maybe a few listeners uh-huh. remember. But it's an out and out horror film. Yeah, I'm just gonna let that say okay. uh, that a kid goes, a kid and his family go to a taping of the Banana Splits, who are his favorite band. So it's like a universe where they're real, sort of like that interesting DC crossover when Suicide Squad, the Banana Splits met. They're a real life band made up of anthropomorphic animals um and the chill this kid goes to a taping and then bodies start showing up on the studio so apparently they're trapped in a television studio and the murderer is someone in the audience and i don't know if they're redesigning the characters uh which were actually uh early sid and marty croft puppets before they went solo uh, I think I think the Banana Splits is the last thing they did before they became, quote-unquote, Sid and Marty Croft and started H.R. Puff and stuff. But um, I don't – I love the Banana Splits in memory. Uh, I haven't seen the Banana Splits since. I had the 45s uh, of, of their songs. Well, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. What? I don't – they weren't – this, the Banana Split show was an anthology of a bunch of other things that only had like interstitial not stuff original. with the Banana Splits, except for the songs. Not originally. They actually had they had like an ongoing kind of there? yeah. They had plots, and the the problem uh, for me, uh, and, and I would say I've never seen a cohesive, coherent storyline happening because I think by the time I was old enough yeah. to watch them, it was in syndication or. It was like third run on CBS or ABC picking it up and saying, let's give it one more shot. Because I know like I do remember watching like uh, The Adventures of Huck Finn, which was one of the shows that show on that um, for it was edited into the Banana Splits. So I saw that on its own. Like I remember being like three watching it before the Wonderful World of Disney on Channel 4. And um and then, yeah, there were a whole bunch of other things later edited in. Uh, Danger Island was we Danger Jan Island. Michael Vincent yeah. uh, being in that that live action show, uh, the Three Musketeers, uh, the Arabian, Arabian Nights, Nights, and then there was the Hillbilly Bears 
Uh, I think I think there's even a run uh, of Banana Splits where they edited around an Adam Ant and Secret Squirrel. You know, they, they basically eventually Hanna Barbera found it very convenient to use the Banana Splits as a as host because, of course, their mouths didn't move, so you right. could just bring in Paul Winchell to re-record whatever show they <laughs> they could use the same footage. No, I had a lot of a lot of Benny Hill yeah, style yeah, yeah. footage of them running around and doing stuff, like the yeah, monkeys yeah, yeah. too. So yeah, I mean, I, and and I think that's what the, the banana splits was originally meant to be, like an answer to the monkeys, and then the the, the Hanna Barbera answer. So I, I I don't really know anything more than this at this point, but I I did uh, write back and say my mind is blown. Please keep me uh, as as possible. I, you know, I have a pretty good relationship with people at, at Warner Brothers TV, so they they do. You know, I, I they'll I think they'll send us something. You know, as soon as as soon as there is something to send. But talk about that's an amazing thing to just throw out there. Yeah, we're gonna do the Banana Splits, the horror film, the show on Sci-Fi. Why not? Um, <laughs> so I wouldn't have expected. Well, the the, ki- the kiss the kiss uh, special on TV was the Phantom of the Amusement. Uh, Amusement park. I, I have it on DVD. I'm not proud. Uh, and there, but but that's different. Um, you know, it wasn't nobody. Nobody died in that except for the villain at the end. Um, and don't don't complain about spoilers, people, because you don't want to watch that movie. I watched it at least twice. So you don't I mean, have to. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I may actually only have it on VHS. I may not have bought it on DVD because even because by the time I watched it as an adult, I, once I went, yep. Oh, it's a lot worse than I remember. Um, but there was a great Kiss Scooby Doo crossover, but that's still different too. This is live action going on to yeah. sci-fi. It's meant to be a straight-up scary film. And considering how many things, like there was Hulu just ran a short, uh, like a Pizza Time theater where one of the machi- the the mascot was a killer. I can't remember what it was called. It was like, but it was only like five minutes long. And then um, they just had one of the Bloomhouse movies that they're running on Hulu. Uh, Puka uh, it w- was kind of along those lines. So, I mean, the re- and, and then, of course, there's, I, I mean, I know this, what they're thinking is, what do we have that's closest to Five Nights at Freddy's? We had the banana splits. And that's a recognizable thing. So you can turn that into something scary. And, and okay. uh, you're familiar with Five Nights at Freddy's, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a huge uh, franchise that has, I can't believe it's taking this long to develop a film for that. But uh, banana splits could could fit in there. But let's talk about things that have actually come out, uh, because I know you were excited, and I managed to, over this weekend to catch uh, with the first episode of both these series that have the Gerard Way connection. Uh, um, both series, uh, TV series, on different streaming services based on comics that have have been written here. So I can satisfy your literalness here that that have been written by Gerard Way. Though I'm going to admit, okay. I saw Brendan Fraser on The View last week. My mom watches it at night. I happened to be there, and she was watching it, and I went, "Oh, Brendan Fraser talking about the Doom about Doom Patrol," and he mentioned he said a Morrison comic. And I don't know if that was he was just remembering press notes or, man, isn't it awesome that in 2019 you could go on a talk show like The View or maybe – no, it wasn't the other one. It was The Talk and say uh, a Morrison comic and, and assume that a majority of the audience knows you're talking about Grant Morrison. That's kind of awesome. 
but anyway, yeah, so yeah. DC Universe launched Doom Patrol on Friday, and Netflix launched The Umbrella Academy on Friday. Two shows uh, based on comic books about basically a team of misfits who consider themselves family. And uh, so let's start with Doom Patrol and DC Universe. I will call this the reason you should subscribe to DC Universe. I would totally agree. I mean, this... I. How long you've been reading Doom Patrol? As long as you've been reading comics, right? Uh, Same. Not quite. I you know I don't go as far back. As not tight. You didn't get like old issues from friends and stuff. From uh, I Silver picked Age. some up. Uh, actually, I actually okay. encountered Doom Patrol until Marv Wolfman and George Perez doing New Teen Titans when they did the search for the Doom Patrol. I hadn't realized like I'd missed even the showcase when they revived it briefly. Um, you know, three. Okay. See, when I was when I was re- really too young to have any any uh, comics money or our parents who would buy me comics, it was usually we're over to somebody's house and their older brother had a big stack of oh, yeah, comics, yeah, yeah. and that's where we I, that's where I read Legion of Superheroes and Batman, and and that's where I found Doom Patrol. And it was for me at that time the Doom Patrol was right there with Legion of Superheroes and Batman. It was like it wasn't it wasn't all um, it was another superhero group and they they probably were dc's closest to trying to get the angsty marvel style superhero the one that your, and, and, your powers are but they predate that, as well, you know they predate thing. uh um, x-men and which is weird because sure. most people think they are you know i can remember like when when uh when they yeah. came, came back in in uh i think it was in junior high when that showcase won and a friend of mine you know, I'll, I'll be honest. When you say trade with friends, I didn't have that many friends that read comics. I had a lot of friends, but I, I think I was really the only kind of the one who was really into them throughout elementary school. And uh, but I can remember in junior high, a friend saying, "Oh, is that DC's answer to the X Men?" And saying they were first. You know, I was kind of like, uh, I, I knew that that yeah. much, but um, I didn't. Well, it's. But the, my point was that. Even though it was supposed to be kind of, um, they they are all kind of have horrible lives. Of course, you know, Robot Man's just a brain and a robot body, and uh, Negative Man is eternally swathed in bandages and all the stuff. I never empathized the way I did. With I, and that's what I would say too. The, is the I, what I thought was an. I've gone back and read most of it. And I do have there's a I do have that Silver Age omnibus and yeah. and after I watched the first episode I meant to pull it off the shelf and reread the first. I just remember it being very tame because of course it was a a Comics Code Authority approved book, and I remember re, I think I picked I picked up one issue at like a flea market and um, thought well, it was kind of silly but they were still cool you know most of what I knew them from was old was getting back issues and seeing yeah. them in house ads from the sixties, you know, but mostly I was picking up like Superman and, and so forth. Um, but yeah, what I thought was it's taken every version of the doom patrol and merged it together into something new. Whereas, you know, cause like robot man, you said he's a brain and a robot body. He's actually the second robot man that there was in D- at DC. There's a, there's a golden age one, Bob crane. 
um, which I always thought was odd that that was his actual secret identity, you know. But um, right. so you know, there was that there was that robot man. Then 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 this one, Cliff Steele, and I knew he was a race car driver, but it was very you know, it, it was just the tragedy of oh, he used to be this handsome athlete, and then what impressed the heck out of me in this first episode is so much flashback to give both Brendan yes. Fraser as as Clifford Steele and Matt Bomer as Larry Trainer FaceTime you know because both both negative man yes. who is really more like the Grant Morrison Rebus in style um, which was the the kind of the merging of negative man and then in the showcase revival there was negative woman Valentina Vostok I think was her identity Yes, or was a real name? She didn't have a secret, right. They didn't have secret identities. That was the other thing. They were just because they couldn't not be who they were. Um, but that both of them. You know, so Negative Man looks more like Rebus. Uh, but to give both of those actors, it's it's two it's two stuntmen in the costumes. But to give the actors the chance to really show who they were and i'm with you like suddenly everything about cliff Steele is so much more tragic than he's a race car driver who got in yes. an accident I, I i don't want to spoil a thing but they changed that origin right. and that revelation just i almost cried and i was so like uh oh crap yeah. uh you know and and, and then even the rita far uh, elastic girl Thing was so much, uh, or last a woman. They had uh, because of the Incredibles being more uh, in people's minds, right? But the reason for her power, for her ability, or her curse, if you will, you know, was just suddenly like, oh, oh, you know, the the interesting thing that they're playing with that. I don't think the comics did because, of course, all this the continuity is very elastic, no pun intended. But on the TV show, is the how many decades they've been uh, yes. in this to the point that I don't think they play fair with some of it, um, you know. But they certainly lay the groundwork for many seasons to come, and yet also it has such a, a wild point of view from the beginning being narrated by Mr. Nobody, Alan Tudyk doing another fantastic job. And it, it, crazy, it is. Right? And I thought this show is actually different. And if you wanted to say, watch a superhero show that is truly, it, it it's not like anything you've ever seen before in its attitude. And, and and it's almost even though it's much of the same cast, almost not like the t episode of Titans that they're in. Yeah, they they do seem a lot lighter in the Titans episode, but I it, it kind of feels like that was probably oh, yeah. shot. For oh yeah, us. and they recast the chief, you know, and they and probably... Timothy Dalton as the chief yeah. is as Niles Calder is magnificent, and uh, you know it, it, what? Yeah, I just. Like Titans, I blow hot and cold on. I think there are many great things to recommend Titans, but I think there's many things about Titans that would turn off a Titans fan. And the fact that yes, everybody's yes. psychotic, complaining it's, about how everybody else is psychotic and not noticing that they themselves are psychotic is a problem in Titans. Titan, Titans is, is Teen Titans with just a 
more than a hit, a big splash of of uh, kick ass. You know, you know? I mean, well, Titans is the Dan DiDio, Jeff Johns adult run that ticked me off and made me stop reading Titans. Uh, um, and yet, there's enough yeah. of the characters that I loved, and it's it's well done that I you know because I, I don't know if you read that run, but it was annoying. Um, that's the one. Yeah, well, I read so they introduced Marvin, Wendy, Marvin and Wendy, and the Wonder Dog, and Wonder Dog, and Wonder Dog yeah. turned out to be an alien spy. Eight Marvin and Wendy, right. and I was like, "That is the darkest, most horrible thing." Nope, I'm done with this book utterly, utterly, utterly. And um, yeah. right, you know, so it, it's there. I'm, but this was suddenly like, a, you know, Young Justice is worth a subscription as well. It is a great animated series, and to be able to catch up on old stuff, including the animated films. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great content on there, but Doom Patrol is suddenly, I'd say, this is the, thing, the game changer for them. This was the expect- I'm glad you mentioned Young Justice. I, I just, I've totally binged the first two seasons. I'm in the midst of trying just, to binge. Uh, it's one of those shows, it's, uh, you know, I have to, you know, it, it's, I have to watch on my own. Um, it, there's nobody in my, on my son's already seen the first two seasons and uh you know we've got plenty of other things we have to watch and and the same thing goes with my fiance you know it's she's not necessarily interested in the animated stuff i am so i'm going through it and loving that and that's and that's great yeah but doom patrol is suddenly the show that i'm going if the follow-ups if swamp thing and star girl are this quirky you know what i guess what i mean is is unique in their point of view and and that they feel different um they can be set in the same universe that's fine that's what i love about comics you know if you're going to do a shared universe they the shows shouldn't all feel alike and doom patrol boldly says nope we're not like titans and So part of me wants to stay away from like the quirky definition because this is a quality quality show as far as the writing and the and the acting and and the the fact that these characters have quirks and stuff is i mean i can i can see a lot of people giving well up when i say when i say quirky minutes. i guess what i really mean is unique it has a unique point of view yeah. and that has been missing like i you know i kind of enjoyed runaways on hulu and felt okay but that was it you know it's still it still could have fit with anything else. Cloak and Dagger, I think I only watched one episode yeah. there over and uh, Marvel. I think that it, that like why the um, the Arrowverse show that I love the most is DC's Legends of Tomorrow because DC's Legends of Tomorrow doesn't even not only does it not seem to fit, it doesn't seem to care that it's breaking the rules yeah. of Arrowverse. And you know, but even that is still restricted by CW. But by being on an app called DC Universe, Doom Patrol can be both of the comics and its own thing, perfect for whatever, if we're going to call it television, if we're going to call it streaming, whatever, over the top. That's the official uh, industry word for a streaming service, a term for a streaming service, an over-the-top offering, um, because it's like over-the-set-top. but uh, you know, I, I just I really recommend that. And then I I dipped into uh, they released all the episodes of the Umbrella Academy. I I only had a chance this weekend to watch the first episode, um, but also a very unique thing. Uh, if you've read the comic, 
products, which are very hard to find at the moment, and shooting up like crazy on eBay, as if the world just discovered, wait a minute, Gerard Way wrote a comic book? Um, but even the trade paperbacks <laughs> are being really hard to find. So this is one where I'd say if you really, really want to read it right now and you can't find it at your library and you can't find it at your store, this is the thing that suddenly makes it you got to go digital because comicsology never runs out uh, of copies. So you can download it digitally. I know that Dark Horse is, is bringing a trade of the Apocalypse Suite, which I think is pretty much the basis of the first season of the umbrella academy but it's it's also a really well done show uh, with uh, an interesting set of characters the pilot um you know is trying to establish all all the thing all, all the abilities of of the kids in the academy and which sounds dismissive because they're they're all adults by the time you you the story begins uh that, that for some reason in 1989, all these uh, there were I think they said 43 women uh, gave birth on a day that they did not wake up pregnant. This character known as uh, this older adventurer who becomes who calls himself the Monocle offers to buy the children tries to adopt the children but he pays for them. Seven mothers accept this. And he raises these children to be crime superheroes, basically, and uh, calls it the inaugural class of the Umbrella Academy. And the series opens with his death, and the adult children come back. Uh, and so there's a lot of backstory that needs to be filled in as the series goes through. But this is a quirky thing where there's a they have a robot mother, and they have a chimpanzee butler, a talking chimpanzee, and that, that character made it to television is wonderful and glorious and the cast is really is really great robert sheehan is the i now i'm blanking on the name of the character but the one who speaks to the dead and really great casting ellen page is uh is probably the big the most recognizable name uh and she plays the one member of the family of the adopted family who does not have any abilities but she is so human and so uh the, the sadness is so palpable and uh, it, it, it was a really good, good first episode. So I'm, I don't know when I'm going to get to follow up, but I'm looking forward. Did you get a chance to look at it? I haven't yet. No, because um, you but, asked me even what, to, what service it was on. So yes, of course. Yeah. So the, uh, uh, just for the smart shoppers out there, um, I am not finding Umbrella Academy available on digital at DC. Um, because it would be the Dark Horse Entertainment. It's a Dark Horse comic. Oh, it's Dark Horse. Okay, so does Dark Horse have their own, or are they in Comicsology? They're in Comicsology. Uh, okay. I think they have their own as well. But you know what? I'd rather. You know, I just think that they go to Dark. They go to Comicsology. Is it, if you've already got an account there, it, it's simplest. But well, and I think thing, actually the, Dark- the other thing I did discover is that uh, they ha- the digital comics are available on Amazon, and there are, there are a number of the the uh, issues you know why because Amazon is Comicsology so well okay so but Amazon has if you go to Amazon they're easy it's pretty easy to find anyway the uh, the the Ashcan and the first issue are, are free well good you know I, the only reason I say go to Comicsology dot com first is because what I have discovered this week is a friend of mine has a book up on Comicsology originals that that they still have a weird 
division that they haven't quite finished working out. So like if it's digital only, you can only get it on Comixology. You can't go on Amazon.com and find it. So if there's a hard copy somewhere in their warehouse or had been, then you can find the digital. So this week I found myself having to go directly to Comixology for stuff. So I, and I just noticed, of course, on Comixology today that they are advertising having the Umbrella Academy. So, you know, either way, it's still the same company. Uh, and you, I think, still use the same login. Uh, and they ask you, do you want to buy through Amazon? Yes, I do. So there we go. Yeah, the, the first uh, graphic novel, The Apocalypse Suite, is uh, 11 bucks. So yeah. it, it, It's a good book with Gabriel Ba, uh, yeah. who both Gerard Way and Gabriel Ba are executive producers. I'm glad they're getting some of that sweet, sweet Netflix money. And anyway, uh, uh, so I... I think the other one I want to recommend on Netflix, if you haven't watched it, I think I made a joke about it last week in the Cinequest conversation because so many movies seem to be like Groundhog Day things, that there is this weird horror uh, sitcom. uh, Rom-com. Russian Doll. uh, It's kind of of a romance thing too, isn't it? uh, There's a twist, but I I don't think that's the thrust of it. Uh, I haven't finished watching it. But uh, I do just want to call it out because you might – I'm sure people have heard praise as well. But if you haven't checked it out, it's uh, its an interesting uh, twist on it with uh, Natasha Leone as a, a woman who on her, I think, 35th birthday party keeps dying. But in different ways and then resetting back to, the, back to her party. Um, and so uh, I, I, I just found it intriguing and I, we're about halfway through and, and – uh, and so, um, yeah, there is a twist where I think there is romance coming, but I think more importantly is is the mystery, is the the life left, but in a rarely dark and twisted way. So I'm recommending that series. And let's go to Chris Buckley's last question. Why no regular bit on Star Trek Discovery? Well, guess what? I'm caught up on Star Trek Discovery. Yay! Yay. So uh, because uh, I had to say this weekend – that after I watched the episode that set up Section 31, I was like, ah, that, that didn't move forward any of the plots that I want to move forward on. And my only complaint with Star Trek Discovery Season 2 is that they made a huge, huge deal about casting Ethan Peck as Spock right. Right. and haven't bothered showing him yet. They haven't Damn shown him. Yet. They've shown the other Spock, but uh, yeah. You mean oh. Sarek? No. no, they've shown uh, him as a, a child. Well, they didn't show the adult spot. You promised right. me, and we're, what, we're five episodes in, and right. all we keep seeing is, and each episode seems to end with, it, it feels like thematically, next episode, we'll find him. It's like, and, you just missed him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, ready, you can probably oh, catch up. Oh, it's like, oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, and yet, such great, uh, I, I thought, I, I said that after watching, the first season that even though some people complain, it doesn't feel like star Trek. Well, like I've said, if Gene Roddenberry were creating star Trek today, this is, it, I, wouldn't, I, be, I, it yeah. wouldn't be the star Trek. You know. I mean, it would be similar thematically. But I think that they're getting there. And I, I do think that this is, you know, this is, uh, finding new life and exploring occasionally strange new worlds. And, and, 
great science fiction concepts. But then what I found myself this weekend realizing is, oh, Lord, I care so much about these characters. Oh, yeah. And the whole thing and what it's finally doing, too, is tying back around to those short treks. So I realized by the by the by the most recent episode that the episode with Tilly, the the short track has sort of thematically yes. moved forward. So there we go. That's why we had that short track. Um, we uh, next week is for, or I guess this week uh, is promised. The Alpian episode will come back around, and and what a brilliant. I had to explain it to Stephanie because she didn't watch the the short tracks. I, I, I said, like, you know, here's the thing is that that this is what w- was driving me crazy about his race, species is that it is just acceptance that they are prey. Right. And and, and that now they're going to move past that and actually confront whatever that alien, whatever that predator species is, which to me seems to not be native to their world. Right. Um, you know, so not like, subject, not subject to non-interference. So, yes. yay, uh, yay! Um, even the throwaway explanation as to why the Enterprise has view screens and not holograms, I'm like, yes, yes! <laughs> take that. Uh, I I do. I'm I'm just loving it. The only uh, now what what makes me wonder is is that Michael Chabon short trek Calypso going to tie into season two or is that a season three you know or does it have something to do with the red angel but in general i'm just so so digging this show and yeah, i mary wiseman as as sylvia tilly has just been uh uh she's so, so splendid i love i love the fact they have a plus size actress right cool fine now we're over it and we're just watching her as a character and uh, she's just all of her insecurities are exactly what fan fanish watchers want to see. You don't want the 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 Mary Jane character because you can't really you can't really well, empathize. Yeah. You can't really be that character. No, no. But you can be the you can be the character who's going crazy and and realizes that gonna, they're just blown. I'm gonna retire that phrase. Uh, can I can I ban that Mary Which, Jane? Uh, that the Mary Jane. I mean, I know what it is, or the Mary Sue is what the character Mary is. Mary Sue, Mary Sue is because here's the thing. It's like how how many male writers write male characters that are wish fulfillment, and we don't even think about it that way. I wasn't. I was. No, I, I know you're not being dismissive. Yeah. I'm just trying to say let us let us move our vocabulary forward so that maybe others will as well. Uh, and I, was, I, that, I was just going for the extreme. Of what people write well, for characters think, for fans. I think, you know? I think it's really interesting that you even think of her as plus size because I don't. Yeah. I never did. I never saw that as an issue. You know, partially because when you, when I, you look at all the all the women characters in Star Trek up until now, she's she she is probably the, the most zoftig as you would say. Yes, yes. I don't think Rubian. I, and I get and I Rubenesque, not Rubian. Rubenesque. Rubenesque. <laughs> Oh, I don't, I don't know what you mean by that. She's a, a sharp, a sharp redstone. Um, that uh, I, you know, I guess because I look at, it, it, I, I realize too what what the camera that 
people do look heavier on camera than they actually are. So in my, you know, they said the camera adds 10, adds 10 pounds. And when I look at people, I'm, I'm mentally subtracting. <laughs> so I think it's like, I, to me, she's, she's normal. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's the case with modern photography anymore, but yeah, I, I know what you're well, saying. No, I, I think it is the case. I, you know, I, I, I wanted to, but what I wanted to do was totally dismiss the whole body thing and say, no, I, this I, is I a character who is, who as, as a character where their motivations, her doubts, her aspirations, this is the, like the perfect character for the typical fan in middle school, elementary school, high school, who's dealing with all kinds of issues and she kind of, pulls them all together um you know i'm not the michael burnan uh character is is she's got her own darkness to her and she's but she's pretty pretty much perfect most of the time um but i think another one i think that's crumbling Uh, and i think these are the most realistic star characters i've ever seen i do agree i do agree and I, I, and it's not just Tilly. I, I think that the that uh, why am I blanking his name? So you'll have it at the tip of your tongue. The the actor who was in Rent, uh, Anthony Rapp. Right. That Anthony right. Rapp scientist is so Stamets. Stamets. You totally get why. You know he is he is prickly. Why his husband Hugh humanized him, and that really came into sh- into stark relief. In the, in, I think it was this last episode, and yes. you know what what love can do, and I think that's the thing is this is re- these have been episodes that are absolutely about the different kinds of love you can feel for people, and, and that connect us and in a way that I just really? have never felt. Start, what, uh, no, you don't think? totally because you even have the the Klingon. Um, body transferred uh character and the the love of the uh of the uh oh, was she emperor or was she before right the upheaval but i mean that right. that was another one and look at what we're doing right now we're talking about star trek we haven't talked aside from holographic screens we haven't talked at all about technology or any of the science fiction aspects well, well, the of the show i don't get, although i loved the plot complication that a virus Broke down yes. the universal translator and yeah. messed it up, and that whole and, and power- the virus was part. It was an attempt to communicate. That felt classic Star Trek. That felt yeah. so much like what Gene Roddenberry would do. And I know we you know we talked about this Rod Roddenberry. Um, you know, I interviewed him last summer at Comic Con, and at that time he said, "Look, you know, we're involved. We approve." And I think that absolutely there that if it if something had veered too far. I don't know how much power we would really have because I don't know how, you know, they don't really have, have ownership over the Star Trek franchise. That is, that's Viacom. There's no question, but I think that this show is doing right by it. I, I hear a lot of chatter online. People complain about section 31 because a lot of people didn't like it in the first place. It doesn't seem to run the Federation, but I, I also think that it's like, uh, that my my problem with Next Generation when Gene Roddenberry ran it was I think he became too utopian in his yeah. in, in his view and it's sort of like when I explain to people you know what's the real problem with the with the first Star Wars trilogy when you fulfill what the Jedi are supposed to be they're boring and conflict makes things interesting so if you don't 
you know, if you don't have conflict, then you got to have character flaws and humanity. Yeah. And Michael Burnham accepting that she loves Saru. What a journey that is. The, the resentment they had towards each other. And then when, when his last wish to her was, you know, to, it's like, I bought that. That's love. That's, you know, and then yep. the, again, I just so much about this show that I absolutely love now, you know, and I am engaged to a woman who's never watched the original. Although I think uh, Ed Gallifrey, one, we were having dinner with a friend who said, well, Drew Simchick, who wrote Dr. Who reviews for us. And he's going back and watching the original series. And she said she had watched trouble with Tribbles and the conscience of the King, which I would say are two very important episodes from the original series to have watched. Yeah. And if that's all you've watched. Okay. But that, I, I've got her into Star Trek Discovery. It is I mean, you know, it is it speaks to the power of the show, uh, how strong this series is. And so, yeah, I, I, we will be watching. And, and it, one, one more actor to talk about though, uh, because it's it is from canon a, an interesting character is Anson Mount's Christopher Pike, um, yes. because he's creating. I mean, you have to look back at Star Trek and say, okay, how many. Star Trek has typically been about the captain on the ship. Discovery is a little different because we're mostly focused on Burnham. Yeah. Um, but all the all the other ones have primarily been about the main character. The main character is the captain, and everything kind of spins out around them. Yeah, obviously, exceptions. But he's giving us a starship captain who is really different from any of the previous ones and one you can believe is he's kind of writing his own rule book as he goes along um but at the same time he wants uh he wants the he wants to earn the devotion of his of his crew yeah and and he is and he's successful doing it by being an honest and human character person now and we didn't see enough of her but i thought uh so yet we haven't seen enough of her yet Rebecca Romaine, when she teleported in as number one, oh, yeah. I went, boom, that is perfect. She captures everything, and I, I explained to and I said, you know, people don't give enough credit for that in 1965, I think, when they shot that first pilot, that I'm sure there were studio executives ticked off that there was a, a, a female character that strong, and that, and that right. the show would clearly – be dependent upon it, and it's interesting that you know. Then you get you know what the the show that eventually happens is Med, is uh, Nichelle Nichols as the communications officer, and Majel Barrett, right. who played number one, becomes the nurse. And right. it's much more retiring, but let's give Gene Roddenberry props for creating a character like that. And in the first novel tie-in to Discovery, there's an implication. Uh, that Saru is actually because they, they, I think it's invalidated now by what Discovery has done. I, you know, I, I don't think the books are canon. Um, not that there are that many books, but they've already, I think, invalidated them. <laughs> that, that that Saru and Number One have a connection and find kindred oh. spirits. Um, but again, I, I don't think there was enough of the show Bible. Uh, available to Greg Cox, I think it was Greg Cox that wrote the first one. Um, Sounds right. That uh, that he the Kelpians weren't as well developed, so the history of, of Saru w w he didn't have a lot of of Bible to play with. 
I think you filled in some things that are now invalidated. Um, you know, I think the television Saru is a lot more driven uh, as far as, you know, now that we know he's the only one of his race to, to, to even be aware that the Federation exists uh, is, is an interesting thing. And, and I think that, that line about that he is fluent in 92 languages because he feels the weight of being, he is the only representative. representative. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's just, for for a, a split second, the episode had me that Saru was going to die, and oh, I was I like, "No, totally, no!" I no. was explaining. I, we we paused at that point, and I said, "You know, uh, Doug Jones is is a uh, uh, a very sought after actor in in, in movies." And, I, and, I was exactly. And I was saying, like, I was saying, he's probably can't be on this show too much longer. So so this is the writing him out, and then and then of course I was wrong. So. <laughs> Thank heavens, you know, no, and you know, if anything, and this is a show that even though you don't see his face, this proves what an incredible, incredibly good actor Doug Jones actually is because in his previous most noteworthy roles, somebody else does. Well, he did speak Abe Sapien in Hellboy, the Golden Army. Right, right, but I mean, you're most, I mean, in Shape of Water, nothing, yeah. Yeah, speaking, you know, yeah. I mean, he's a, he, we know he's a fantastic physical actor, but yes. that vocally, you know, is that he can bring such pathos to his dialogue, he, he's magnificent, so. And his, his physical acting, He have you watched Saru walk? Oh, yes, oh, I know. His arms swing side to side, not not forward and back. Although I, I got to say this, I, 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 I think Doug Jones might actually walk that way. Um, <laughs> sure. I've seen him. I, I've met him a couple of times and uh, I don't know. I, you know, cause he, he is just a, an amazing, was he a contortionist ballet dancer? I mean, I don't know. He, he's got so much physical training, but it, regardless, I think Saru is such a, like you can hold up er, all the things he is on screen, the shape of water, uh, Abe Sapien, uh, the silver surfer and Saru. And if you were not told they were the same man, I don't think you could tell that they were, what do they have in common? Nobody get it. Yeah. Yeah. Back to, back to your original comment though, um, that we haven't, we haven't seen Spock yet. And I'm kind of glad because this season, more than the last season, we've gotten a lot more focus on some really interesting character developments and characters that if we shifted, if we had Spock on the screen, I'm afraid that they wouldn't have done as many. Uh, no, I, I put I him on the sideline. I, I would much. agree with that. And I want to say also, Anson Mount is so good as Christopher Pike. One, I don't, like I said, I want this to just be a reboot. I do not want this to be the Star Trek you know, to tie into those fates. I don't want his fate. I don't want the menagerie to happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but Anson Mount is so good. I almost want to find the, the inhumans and I know that I'm wrong. I know that I don't want to watch the inhumans, but he's so good as Pike that I want to see him. And I I know that I, inhumans and he was not anything splendid in the inhumans. Okay. Thank you. Uh, you saved me. Thank you. Yeah. Now I'd like to go back in time and warn us not to watch Sci-Fi's Flashpoint. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, 
if there's anything else you'd like to go back in time and warn us not to watch, comments, criticism, commentary. Uh, you know, you could have you could dominate an episode like listener Chris Buckley, who may dominate again, and I say that with love and affection. Thank you, Chris, for writing in. Uh, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. Uh, we're gonna keep on. Uh, I, I do just, we're probably a couple of weeks w- without an episode, right? Because you've got uh, you're going to Hawaii, um, which is probably more fun than Gallifrey One was for me, um, maybe. Um, so you're gonna be on vacation, uh, and then we dive into Cinequest and we see what we what we piece yeah. together from there. I, I think there's a lot of Potential for a lot of really exciting things to be happening there. Uh, so this may be the the it may be a couple of weeks off before the next episode. But thanks for listening. And of course, uh, you know, again, editor at fanboyplanet.com. And um, I'm Derek McCaw, editor in chief of Fanboy Planet. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder, reminding you to use your powers for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.